we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the divine dance. Uh, some of the leadership team and us were talking about dancing together. How many of you guys like to dance? All right, some of you, some of you. So how this works is um, here, right now, metaphor, dancing. If, as I'm speaking, all of you guys are going to get insight that I don't have. Verses, thoughts, and I would encourage you to text them to me. If you think of a verse, if you think of a, a thought that you might want to share, I would love to hear it because I can't read everything or study everything or know everything. And I know when we jump into the scriptures, uh, I've been reading James for almost 20 years now. It was the first book uh, I did a study on with friends, my first Bible study. And so there's insight that I'm gaining just year after year. So I would encourage you, if you have a verse about the subject or a thought, text it to me. The second one is, as I speak, I believe that God stirs in our hearts. And if God is stirring in your heart, anything, whatever it is, I would encourage you to share it with someone. There's, a, there's something that happens when God speaks to us, and we kind of ignore it, and then we go on with our day, go on with our life. But when we share it, when we speak it out, it solidifies it. It kind of puts it in stone, and you have someone who can be accountable to you. I remember someone telling me something years ago, and then as time went on, I remembered it, and I was able to share it back to them to help direct their path. So share what God's stirring in your heart with someone, close friend, a confidant. And third, I hope, my goal, my desire is to allow the Holy Spirit to come and move. So just respond to whatever prompting at the end of the service. We all know how it works. I'll talk for a little bit, then we'll get some prayer time. And the goal would be to, okay, the goal would be to connect with Jesus. All right? My wife is telling me, what's my phone number? Um, I guess if you don't know my phone number, you can't text me. So, uh, or you can email me if it's easier, owenpinkney at gmail.com. But it's 517-249-4955. No. (laughs) So, with that, we're going to go ahead and open up with a video. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches, and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice, to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream, or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ? To be traders. A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. 
we follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. A trader. Christmas is coming. We used to sing a song, The Goose is Getting Fat. Please put a penny in the old man's hat. And my daughters are trying to get me to put Christmas uh, decorations up around the house. And you know how much that clashes with Thanksgiving. The colors just don't mix. And uh, this, this idea of me, 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 you know, we've all know how uh, commercialized it's all become. And I was sitting down last night talking to a Persian friend. And it was just just so encouraging to be reminded of, it's said it this way, the American dream without God is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And he's being Persian, right? So Iranian, uh, Iran and America, Donald Trump, and it's just, it's a nasty mess. It's a nasty mess. And it reminded me of what it means to really be a peacemaker, what we're about. And today I would like to talk to you about peacemakers. You know, we're fighting against selfish ambition, the American dream that's hijacked. And peacemakers walk with a holy ambition as heavenly citizens infusing God's goodness and glory into the earth. I'm going to say that again. Peacemakers walk with a holy ambition as heavenly citizens infusing God's goodness and glory into the earth. This is so important as we become a global world, a globalized culture in America, here in East Lansing. It is so important to understand that we are heavenly citizens fighting for a heavenly kingdom, creating peace on earth. And our text we're going to open up with is written by Jesus' brother, Jacobus, Jacob in the Hebrew. And I, he's writing to us because, one, he's a peacemaker. James was known to be one who could, like, bridge the aisles from the right and left. He, he was respected by everyone in Jerusalem. And even when he was martyred, it created such an uproar in the city that the leaders, the high priest, was deposed. He was completely removed from his office because everybody loved James, the brother of Jesus. So James, he, he, he's a strong figure. He's both a um, patriot and a pietist. And my question, as a peacemaker, is it possible to be a patriot without being a nationalist? You see in the news in Europe, you're seeing with Germany and all of the nationalism that's rising. Is it possible to be proud of your country, of the place of your citizenship, 
and still make peace and love the world, have open arms. I remember when I was living in Senegal, I became a resident. I, I had my uh, recipice, and I was responsible to live as a good citizen in Senegal. I had to follow the laws. I had to follow all of the protocol. And I remember thinking, I am proud of this space. I'm going to be the best citizen. I'm going to be patriotic. I'm going to root for Senegal and it's, you know, in football. I'm going to, you know, pick up trash as I'm walking down the street, um, which if you know anything about Senegal, it's a lost cause. Uh, <laughs> and yet, I want to read something to you. It comes from Ralph Martin. And he says this. James shared Jesus' ambition to confront the political and religious options of their day and bring together the zealot militarists and the Essene pacifists. What mattered to James, who himself was a patriot and a pietist, was the way that divine rule, heavenly citizenship, was to be set up. Only in peace could righteousness be promoted. Since in God's kingdom, the only law that is recognized is that of love, and the noblest of goals can effectively be attained by the methods that are consonant with the royal law. Peacemakers. Righteousness. James 3.13 through 18 is our text, and I'd like to read it to you. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James is responding at this time to the chaos in Palestine. He is seeing all sorts of um, political uh, insurrection. He's seeing all sorts of religious trouble. And he's responding to leaders. He's responding to the church. And he's saying to the Christians, there is a way to fight. There is a way to challenge. There is a way to overcome the conflict in our lives. But it's not done the way Rome does it. It's not done the way Herod did it. It's done a specific way. In true wisdom, and he's talking to the Greeks, the Stoics, all of the priests who are claiming to be the wise, and he's saying true wisdom, true wisdom comes, is birthed out of holy ambition. Holy ambition. And I would like to link these two ideas, peacemaking and holy ambition. I like to bring them together. Uh, I look at this guy, and I think uh, of my family. I think of my dad. Uh, growing up, I never really knew this, but 
he was a hippie. Is that okay, Mom? Can I say that? All right. He was a hippie. And I think of the whole entire 60s, the Beatles. I wasn't there, but my impression of that is a selfish ambition. You know, there, we talked big about peace as a culture. We talked big about, you know, love, and you hear all of uh, everyone's, you know, peace, make love, not war. And I wonder, what was the motivation behind that? What was the motivation behind that whole entire movement? Was it really for peace? For, for, for making things right? Because remember, peace makes righteousness. And righteousness is right-relatedness. Was it really to do that? Because what I saw was rebellion. What I, what, when I read the history books, what I see is self-centeredness, drugs, alcohol. Uh, I see uh, just a complete disregard, as my dad would put it, is um, just a disrespect for the status quo, for um, those in power. And yet peace was at the center. It reminds me of Senegal when we were uh, greeting and meeting people. You guys all know Shalom and Salam Alaikum. It's Arabic, Salam, Shalom. Uh, in Senegal, we had Jam. It was Jamrek. How's everything going? Jamrek. How's your family? Jamrek. How was school? Jamrek. And it's just peace only, peace only, peace only. You know? And it was always like, uh, you know, Yindalak Jam. Have a peaceful day. You know? How was your day? Uh, Jamrek. Yindalak Jam. And over and over again, it was like this desire and hunger for peace. It was at the heart of the culture. Yet, it was so artificial because, as we know, not everybody walks in peace. And so, peacemakers overcome a lot of things. Kevin has been talking about this. He's been talking about how peacemakers overcome anxiety. You can go to the next slide. Peacemakers overcome deception, right? And I think today, if you're going to title it in a negative form, Peacemakers overcome jealousy and selfish ambition. So at the heart of peace is an ambition. And James says, you know, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, you're denying the truth. You're you're not wise. It's not going to produce anything. So peacemakers overcome jealousy and selfish ambition. Do you have that picture? The married couple. I don't know what happened to my slides. I was so pumped about this. Go to the next one. Oh, I can't see it. Never mind. Go back. Oh, I'm looking up here. And All right, I'm a rookie. rookie at this. Forgive me. There we go. Okay, so how does this work? How, do, how, how does this work? Um, have you ever been wronged? Have you ever been wronged? Now, this is a personal story, so it means more to me than you. But I remember... Last year, Allie and I went through a tremendous, we went through, I, don't, I don't know how to express it, we went through a very difficult time. We had a month of, of just heartache, hardship. We had a month of um, strife. And we were at heads. How many of you have been there? Who's been married, right? We're just, we're bickering, fighting. The world was just not good, right? And... I don't remember who wronged what or what wronged who, but, like, we were not in a good place. And we were fighting. I mean, it was dark. I just, that's what all I can say. is like it was probably the darkest moment of our marriage. And here we are, missionaries, 
men and women called by God, right? And it's not good. And I was so thankful. I don't know about you, but if there's not an outside voice in my life, I'm going to respond with my passion. I'm going to let my own self get in the way, my ego, and it's going to take control and probably lead me in the wrong direction. But since I have outside voices like accountability and friends and the Holy Spirit, when he told me, be wronged, why don't you just be wronged, Owen? Just be wronged. It just, like, diffused all of the conflict. It didn't change the circumstance. It didn't change a lot of things. But in my heart, I was able to respond in peace. I was able to say, you know what? It's okay. I can be wronged. I think of Jesus going to the cross, incredibly wronged. Like the whole idea of atonement. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought about how can one person pay for the sins of another or pay for the debt of another? Is that even possible? Think about how, how wrong that was, an innocent life. Yet he did it. He humbled himself, it says, right? And so Allison and I, we're sitting there, and there's just this strife. And the Holy Spirit says, be wronged. But in order to be wronged, we have to be kingdom-focused. We can't be self-focused. We can't be self-centered. We have to be kingdom-focused. I love what Philippians 2 says. Paul's talking to the church and Philippi, and he says, Peacemakers do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, they value others above themselves, not looking to their own interests, but for the interests of others. And this is a huge verse. They, they look out for the interests of others. They put others first. Now, apply that to politics. Apply that to the immigration crisis. Apply that to all of the conflict in your life. What would happen if you were just wronged? What would happen if we just bared the burden? What would it change? I think it would make relationships right between one another. I think it would allow us to actually walk in peace with one another. Um. But the verse goes on in chapter 4, and I don't know how many of you guys grew up with uh, Hagar, the horrible. How many of you guys know this? You young people don't, but let's, let's do this one. Hagar, the horrible. He says, does it bother you that we brutally and heartlessly looted 200 villages last year? Yes, it does bother me. Our goal was 300 villages. Have you ever considered the problem of evil and suffering in the world? Have you ever really thought about it? I remember as a young person discussing with my friends about God and the possibility of a God and coming across this problem of evil and suffering. And right now we're working with the youth through On Guard. It's um, a defense of the Christian faith. And there is an argument or a, um, a defense for God in this, and it goes like this. If God does not exist... Objective moral values do not exist. Ah, objective moral values do exist. No matter if the Vikings say it doesn't exist or not, it was wrong, right? And everyone says, yes, it was. Slavery was wrong. Everyone says, 
Yes, it was. So objective moral values do exist. But remember the first premise. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Atheists, philosophers, from Nietzsche all the way to the fake ones like Dawkins, will tell you there's no reason to be good. There's no reason to not loot and plunder. But if God does exist, moral values come from him. And like I said, Christmas, American dream, is just a nightmare without God. It's a nightmare without God. So James says in James 4.1, pull that up, track with me here. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask God, you do not receive it because you're asking with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He's writing to the church. They didn't kill anybody. it's, it's, uh, It's a hyperbole. He's saying, man, you desire but do not have, so you kill one another. Peacemakers walk with holy ambition. Holy ambition that puts others first. Peacemakers focus on the kingdom, not on themselves. Peacemakers would rather be wronged than to demand their right. And that's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow. But if you swallow it, it brings healing. It actually works. It's good medicine. It's really good medicine. Uh, Peacemakers diffuse evil by infusing righteousness throughout the earth. They diffuse evil by infusing righteousness throughout the earth. We had good friends, Penny, the Pennies, um, Guy and uh, Jan, or Jane. I called her Jan all the time, not knowing her name was Jane. Uh, They are Canadians who have this beautiful place Somewhere in the mountains, I don't know, pictures I saw, they left the comfort, the beauty, the peace to go to Dakar and work alongside the churches there. But they did something very unique. They worked with the deaf, the lowest of the Senegalese society, people who could not help themselves. You see, 50% of the Senegalese are unemployed. And they just don't have work. So if you imagine someone who's deaf, they, they don't have a chance at all for survival. They're a hindrance. They're a burden on the community. They're neglected. I saw them. Um, I know we've all seen evil in the world, but some evil to children is just the worst. And you see how a human being can be defaced from the image of God. The image of God is just defaced. It's just ruined, all because of a sickness, all because of an ailment. And the pennies, the pennies brought peace into Dakar. They started a school for the deaf. They helped, educated, loved, discipled young children. And I think about how 
peace creates righteousness. These students who, who couldn't speak, obviously you see how children would flail and be angry and violent because they can't communicate. If you ever had to communicate with someone and you couldn't use words, if you ever had your tonsils pulled or something and you just want to say something, but you can't. And there was story after story after story about young kids who were loved, recognized, and appreciated, and then they, 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 they were listened to. They could communicate. How that changed their family dynamics. They, they, they changed homes. Families became Christian in a sense. Like they got, I mean, they came to Jesus Christ. All because the pennies left what was a peaceful environment, went to a toxic environment, and created right standing between humans and God, between children and parents. This is what it means to be a peacemaker. Peacemakers, if you Google it, you'll see a pistol. You'll see the gun, the peacemaker, right? Peacemakers put things right. They put things back to right. That's what righteousness is. And I love what Jesus says. What does righteousness and peace have in common? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers restore relationships. Their ambition to see God's goodness and glory permeates the atmosphere and brings God's kingdom to earth. It permeates the atmosphere and brings God's kingdom to earth. God calls peacemakers his children because they restore relationships, brokenness. So God's goal, I love this quote, God's goal is not to give human beings what they, their own impulses demand. His goal is that human beings will learn to love what he loves, that they would learn to love what he loves. So how do we do this? How do we become peacemakers? You have to have peace. And this is super simple. You have to have peace. How do you get peace? How are you at peace with yourself? I know for me, um, a couple months ago, a lot of chaos, a lot of stress, trying to figure out, you guys know my story, uh, what's going on. And I have a pathway to peace. I know how I'm bent and how I can connect with God. A lot of you um, connect with God differently. A lot of you don't feel a deep connection sitting here in this room right now listening to me with God. A lot of you may not get your fix, if you want to call it that, connected to Jesus on a personal level through um, a Sunday morning service. And if you go on over time and you don't find that connection, with Jesus, then you will burn out. You will burn out. Go to the next slide. You will completely... Oh, no, I'm skipping that. Sorry, I forgot we had that. So sorry, guys. Yeah. We completely ruin ourselves because we don't know how to fill up our souls with the peace of God. And this book by Gary Thomas, if you haven't read it, it's called Sacred Pathways. And it goes like this. Some of us are naturalists. In my moment of stress, in my moment of anxiety, how I connect with God is I go to a cemetery. I know it's bizarre, it's weird, but if you've ever seen a cemetery in the summertime, it's beautiful. It's manicured lawns, trees. I went to this specific place, I go on a hill, and sat under a tree. I fell asleep. I woke up, 
and the sun was the sun was beaming through the trees, and a deer was walking right beside me. And for me, that connects me with God. That brings peace into my life. It didn't change the circumstances, didn't change my financial uh, situation, but there was a connection I felt. Others might be um, ascetics. I was talking to uh, Joshua, uh, one of Zach's friends, and he said he spent eight days in silent, on a retreat, alone with God. I don't know if that helps you guys, but eight days. You know the Ignatian way? Like, it's, it's, it's not for everyone. Sacred Pathways is a book that gives you nine ways you connect. I encourage you to think about this. Nine ways, from a naturalist to ascetics to caregivers. Some of us, honestly, are missing the mark. We are missing the mark with God because, because we're doing all of the wrong things that fill us up. Caregivers are energized by helping others. Caregivers are ones who, who will serve and feel close to God. It's, it's their devotion. This is what fills them up. And my question to you is, are you worn out? Do you lack peace in your life? Then what makes your heart full and hands open? Go to the next slide. Allison hates this picture. What makes your heart open and hands full? She loves the summer. She loves the heat. Fall represents... Thank you. Raking, snow coming. But I look at this, being a naturalist, and I'm like, that right there makes my heart full. My hands open. I just got, I see that picture and hope fills my life. Peace enters my soul. It's just who I am. Some of us are like that. Some of us, it doesn't work. Um, But my question to you is this. What makes your heart full and hands open? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. But we have to be in peace. And so as we stand, go ahead and stand up, and the worship team comes on up, I want to do something. I want you to ponder for a little bit. On a scale of 1 to 10, if you can do a a peace scale, where are you at? Where are you at? Are, are you at a, a two right now? Are you at a, a seven? Where are you at? And I want to ask you, what is the Lord telling you? What do you need to do? What, what do you need to stop doing to let that peace flood your life? How are you going to connect? This is where the rubber meets the road. We are called to be peacemakers. But if we are not walking in peace, we can't make anything right. Like Allison and I, I have to just man up and find that peace within myself. We cannot expect others. You cannot blame your spouse. You cannot blame your boss. You cannot blame Donald Trump. You can't. They don't affect your peace. They don't affect your peace. You are in control of the peace in your own life. 
And if you start looking inwardly and asking yourself, God, what is it that will bring that peace to rule and reign over my life? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for what it means to be in your kingdom. We thank you that the kingdom of God rules and reigns on our hearts. And to be children of God is to be peacemakers. So we're asking right now, we're asking right now that you would flood our hearts with your peace. That you would flood our souls with the peace that surpasses all understanding. Come, Holy Spirit. Do only what you can do. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up. And I would encourage you as we go through this song to just respond in whatever way the Lord's asking you to. So, amen.